This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc. I'm Joe Krause. Great to be here uh, with another week. And in a moment, J. Doc, we'll let our listening audience uh, know we have one very, very special guest with us who's going to be with us for the full hour. Uh, but first, welcome in. A lot of great stuff happening with the Labor and Energy Show, including a couple of upcoming summits. We've been talking about it. Absolutely. Uh, let me give you an opportunity just to set the table. The first big summit uh, is about six, seven weeks away. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. We're, we're, we're doing the labor and energy summits. Uh, we're going to be starting off with the refinery uh, sector uh, in, in mid-August, then we're going to the shale uh, sector in uh, mid-September, and we're going to continue that process and, and those events that will air on the radio uh, from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C., uh, and, and, uh, and the who's who in each industry. Uh, and, and so we're incredibly excited about that, Joe, and, and uh, we're going to educate the public, man, and we're going to speak their language, and, and really we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lay it out there and lay the facts out there, and we're ecstatic to bring the people to the people. Absolutely. Shout out, by the way, to all of our listeners who are tuning in down in the Washington, D.C. metro area uh, and Virginia. We're broadcasting on a big talk radio station uh, in D.C., and we're getting a lot of positive feedback uh, from our uh, programming here this this is the Labor and Energy Show. Our guest today, Steve Coonan, who is a uh, professor um, at NYU University. He's also a senior fellow uh, at the American Enterprise Institute. Um, he is going to join us, J-Doc, for uh, the full hour. And let's bring Steve into the uh, conversation. Steve, uh, we welcome you in. And we thank you very much, man, for giving us as much time uh, to, to do a full hour show with you. Welcome in to the Labor and Energy Show. Well, great to be talking with you. I, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about trying to educate people about climate and energy issues. And, and I'll tell you, I just watched your, your, your uh, segment on C-SPAN. Uh, and it was phenomenal. And I'll tell you what was amazing about it. A, a schlep like me not, could understand it. And it woke me up to so many different facts. And so uh, you, you, you talk about climate change, a lot of debate, a lot of debate, obviously, uh, on over climate policy, which deals with the science of climate change, uh, which no one is questioning. But the question is, what is actually the extensive problem? And one of the amazing things is that there are many extremists that, that have actually talked about us having 10 years left on this earth. And they've been saying it for decades, okay? Um, I'm excited and ecstatic to bring in someone who's world-renowned and who's at the very heart of the matter, uh, an internationally acclaimed physicist and an Obama administration client advisor and the author of the book, Unsettled, which, by the way, Joe, I don't know if you remember, but John Hours, who was on this program, raved about the book. So, again, uh, Stephen, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, we have so much to talk about. Uh, I want to start off uh, with with uh, a little, little background. My understanding was you first kind of made waves when you wrote a Wall Street Journal op-ed that kind of raised questions on some potential impacts and causes of climate change. As I, as I understood it, you weren't questioning whether the climate change was happening or whether uh, man contributed to the change, but rather to the extent of which both man and nature played a role uh, and the extent of the actual impact on, on the change. 
Do I have that right, number one? And can you summarize a little bit about the OPED? Yes. So, so back in 2014, I was asked by the American Physical Society, which uh, represents 50,000 physicists worldwide, to have a look at what they should be saying about climate change. And, uh, you know, the natural inclination of physicists is not to take anybody's word for it, but to dig in themselves. And I convened a group that met in Brooklyn in early 2014, um, and we talked for a day, both experts on the side of the consensus and experts who had some issue with uh, the way the science was being portrayed. And I came away from that meeting uh, somewhat unsettled, uh, realizing that the science was not as settled as I had been led to believe, that there were significant gaps in our understanding. And I thought it was important that the public understand that, because after all, uh, when we need to make these decisions about what we do about the changing climate, we have to have some sense of just how certain or uncertain things are. And so in the end, I, I wrote that op-ed in September of 2014, uh, and a lot of people thanked me for writing it, and a lot of people thought I was the devil for writing it. Yeah, and, and what's really crazy is the fact, in such a fact-driven uh, sector, that there's so many misnomers and misconceptions, and in a sense, some, I guess, propaganda. Uh, I, I don't understand that. Where, where does that come from? Yeah, well, you know, most people get their information about climate and to some extent energy at the end of a long game of telephone. It starts from the basic science, the research papers, the data. It goes through these assessment reports that the U.N. and the U.S. government put out every four to seven years. And then it goes into the summaries of those assessment reports, which are written largely by politicians, uh, and then on to the media and uh, the political and popular discussion. And there are ample opportunities to spin the message as the information goes through that chain. And, you know, when you hear what is said in most of the media and in the political dialogue and compare it with what's actually in the scientific literature, you see that there is this tremendous Disconnect. Steve, when, when, by the time on that timeline that you just laid out, by the time the information makes its way to the consumer, to the public, to the individual, what are they getting? How different is the story on the timeline based on reality? Yeah. So, so you know, the, the media love to, to sell drama. Uh, they're after clicks and eyeballs. If it leads, it leads. Let me just give you one very recent example. Paul Krugman, writing in the New York Times um, last Monday, July 4th, starts the piece by saying, you know, we've got a tremendous heat wave. The temperatures are in the high 80s in northern Norway. Right? Well, of course, anybody interested can go up and look look what the temperatures were in northern Norway, and what you discover is that temperatures above 90 degrees are not at all unusual. And so here is Krugman using a fact that sounds plausible to most people uh, to basically hide the story, which is about the Supreme Court and the EPA. And, and it's just unconscionable yeah. for people to do that. And, 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 and Steve, what's amazing is this. I'm a, I'm a middle-of-the-road guy. I'm a Democrat, okay? I'm one of the people that's being, that has been fed this extremism for such a long time that you almost can't ask a member of the general public uh, about their stance on, uh, you know, on, on climate change and the environment without them giving, uh, you know, I'm for it, <laughs> okay? Without them giving, <laughs> and, 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 and so the point is, it's such a dangerous uh, narrative. One, it, 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 it's, it, what you just said is amazing. It reminds me a little bit of every, like we live on the East Coast there in Philadelphia. Yeah. Joe, how many times has there been a blizzard shutting the whole city down that never happens or was? And I get it. The media has to sell papers, but this is getting ridiculously 
uh, dangerous. To say the least, we're willing to shoot ourselves in the foot, give up our uh, our energy independence, and do all those things. Let's get something straight. We read, J Doc, real quick. The public reads the headlines. They well, don't. They don't. They don't get into the details that are told in the story. Hundred percent. Having said that, uh, you know we are here to, to, to talk about these facts and to let people know, obviously, we all care about the environment. We're all super of course. passionate. Of course. And, and, and by the way, yeah. Steve, you mentioned it uh, in your book and, and get, you know, talking about your book, um, it does a great job calling out uh, the problems with the climate uh, alarmism and explaining how uh, real people should read and interpret uh, the UN Intergovernmental mm-hmm. Panel on, on Climate Change or the IPCC. Can you try and, 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 and elaborate uh, the key thesis on your, on, on your book for our listeners? I, you know, I, I like to say that the key uh, idea is uh, encapsulated by a line from the Princess Bride movie where one of the characters say, uh, you keep, uh, keeps using the word inconceivable. And uh, the lead character says, you know, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And in this case, I don't think the science says what most people think it says for the long game of telephone reason that we talked about. And so, you know, the major message is there is no climate crisis. Humans are influencing the climate. The climate is changing. But the projections are that the changes will be benign and that we've got time to respond to those changes over the next century or so. The world is not going to end in 12 years. It's not even going to end in 50 years, okay? We're very good at uh, dealing with these changes, and, and we should do that. Well, uh, no question about it. And, 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 and your book, um, and it's, it's un, it, it, the, the reviews are phenomenal. Uh, what inspired you to write it? What motive is this? What is this? What motivated you to write it? Well, you, you know, first of all, I'm an educator at heart. Okay, I, you know, I've been. I first started in academia as a professor about uh, 45 years ago, right? and so my passion in life is to get people to understand. What they do with that understanding is their own business, but at least people should understand. So that's one motivation. The second is. I have a long history in other parts of my life of advising decision makers in the government and in the private sector. You know, I was chief scientist at BP for five years, um, and I have a long history of involvement in national security matters with the government. Uh, and, you know, there is a certain art to providing that advice. You tell it straight, you tell it transparently, and you tell it without bias because you're not making the decision, but you're trying to inform the decision. Before we and go, in, 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 let me just, just note that in this case, so many of the climate scientists believe they know what the answer is to what we should do, that they really spin their advice. And that just gets me really mad. Well, I'll tell you what, having said that, on that topic, before we go to break, Joe, um, I'm looking at a headline, okay, in, in, in a major publication, okay? Here's what it says in regards to the the new IPCC report. Uh, This is the headline. Almost out of time, stark warning from scientists on climate disaster. I mean, you would think, and I'm not not making light of anything, and neither do you, Stephen. But, I mean, that that is, you mentioned unconscionable? Because when you actually read the facts of the IPCC report, it's of. I mean, it's it's almost like we're, they're not even talking about the same report. Right. Exactly. And you know, just to take one specific example, the um, economic impact of warming, uh, as covered both in the last UN report, the most recent UN report, and the U.S. government report in 2018, says it's minimal. It's a few percent of GDP in the U.S. or the globe for a warming of a few degrees by 2100, all right? That's in the noise. There are many other factors that control economic activity, and climate is probably the least of them, all right? So the notion that this is a catastrophe or a disaster is just not in the reports. 
Exactly. Steve Coonan is our special guest here for the full hour on the Labor and Energy Show with Jadoc and Krause. Again, Steve is a professor at NYU University. He's a senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute. And we'll continue the dialogue with Steve Coonan after the break. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know wind power depends on hydrocarbons? That's because inside those turbines are gears and axles, a generator, all sorts of moving and turning parts. And moving parts need lubrication. And lubrication means oil. Did you know? First chartered in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the Labor Union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And welcome back, everyone, to the Labor and Energy Show. One programming reminder, if you miss any of today's show with Steve Coonan, you can listen to the show when you like to consume content by catching our podcast. Uh, Go to Apple or Spotify. Simply search the Labor and Energy Show. J-Doc, our podcast, they're getting lots of downloads as we continue uh, with our mission and our objective to change the narrative and educate the public. J Doc, back yeah, to you. Yeah, and 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 we're we're talking about uh, you know a, a lot of the misnomers and, and the the extremism that's that's going on that's really misleading the public, and we're also talking about um, the recent the most recent IPCC report, which. Uh, it, it, you know, we, you hear all the alarmism, you see the headlines uh, with the most recent ICC report. Uh, but I mean, I've read, you know, the, the, the summary of it. And if you read it accurately, there's, there's 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 room for optimism because it actually concludes the worst case scenarios uh, are actually not feasible. And, and, and we're moving along the trajectory of, of, of the lower end of the middle of the road warming scenarios. In fact, at one point, Steve, a lot of those examples of the extreme areas is with the world increasing our coal use. And we all know that's not going to happen. Uh, elaborate on that, if you would. Yeah. So, so in order to say what the human influences on the climate are going to be, let's say, until the end of the century, we've got to make some assumption about emissions, not only greenhouse gases like CO2 from using fossil fuels, um, add methane. Uh, natural gas is uh, important, uh, but also the aerosols, the particles we put up in the air, which actually exert a cooling influence. So you've got to make some assumption about what that's going to be. And, of course, that depends a lot on how people are going to get their energy, how much energy is needed, uh, and what regulations, what technology gets put in. You can't predict all that stuff, and so you've got to make some what are called scenarios. They range from... No more emissions um, in the next couple of decades, emissions stopping, all the way up to uh, a very heavy world uh, coal use uh, and population growth, uh, let's say up to 13 billion, where most people think we'll probably top out about nine and a half billion in 30 years. So you put those into models and then you can understand what the climate might be doing. Um, and, you know, the UN report often invokes the most extreme models, which they themselves deem to be implausible, yet they use them very frequently in their discussions. When you look at the more plausible models, the temperature is going to go up another one and a half degrees roughly uh, by the end of the century. It's already gone up 1.1 degrees over the past century. And, and what is the impact? You, you, we talk about the, the raising uh, sea levels and all those uh, scenarios with, with that, uh, we, that everybody, uh, you know, keeps talking about. And if you would, uh, kind of elaborate on that. Yeah. So, you know, what, what's really a concern is not so much the rising temperature, because the temperature um, 
you know, will rise slowly and we see a much greater variation every day or with the seasons uh, in the temperature. But what people uh, are concerned about is that storms might become more frequent. We might see more floods or drought uh, and sea level might rise more rapidly than it's been doing. The problem is that the natural influences uh, are as important or maybe even more important in many of those phenomena. For example, even as the globe has warmed about two degrees Fahrenheit in the last century, we've seen no long-term trends in hurricanes. And in fact, hurricanes globally are uh, been going down over the last century or so. Uh, similarly, sea level has been rising for 20,000 years, ever since the last glaciers started melting. Um, right now, it's going up at about a foot a century. The models, some of the more extreme models, say in the next 30 years, it's going to be going up at three times that rate. So we're going to see pretty quickly whether the models have any ability to predict what's really going to go on with sea level rise. Steve, what do you think the public cares about? <clears throat> do, they, do, do they care about knowing what all of that means? Or are they just trying to understand how to get from point A to point B and, and do the right thing? Yeah, I, I think people, you know, in um, psychology, there's this Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The first thing people need are their physiological needs, air, food, shelter, and so on. Then they need safety, and then they need to be feeling loved and belonged by their family, esteem, and so on. There's a similar hierarchy for energy. And the first thing people need is reliable energy. The second thing they need is economic or affordable energy. And then they can worry about clean whether it's clean in terms of local pollution or CO2. And so I think people are really just trying to figure out how to get on with their daily lives and in the current, let's say, last six months, how to get enough reliable and affordable energy. Well, it's, it, it's amazing because, uh, you, you know, the first thing we talked about is, is, is the science, okay, and, and the importance of the actual science. Now, I've been talking to Steve on, on the line here for about 20 minutes, OK, this doesn't sound like a political conversation. OK, um, yo, Joe, you and I have talked. Uh, this is this is a fact based conversation. You and I have talked about um, these discussions since we started the broadcast. Uh, Steve, is this you know, and, and, and the narrative, the narrative from the extreme, uh, the, the, you know, obviously the extreme left. We've talked. To, uh, is, is there a disconnect in the intellectual uh, information that needs to be provided to the public. I say that because I've talked to Brendan Williams and Brendan's and we, Joe Krause and I have talked about it. One of the goals for this show is to take this, a lot of it, intellectual information and feed it to the public in, in, in a way they can understand the left wing. Okay. The, and, and again, I'm a Democrat. Okay. But the, yeah. the far yeah. left extremists are coming out with a, what a real simple message. The world's ending in seven years. Okay, yeah. and that's been happening again and again and again. Okay, worst case scenarios, um, but but that's really not it. How do we dumb it down to make the people no. understand the message? I mean, we're that's what the point of this show is. Yeah, I, you know, I the way I understand it, I'm a scientist. I look at the data. Right. How fast is the sea level really rising? How many storms have we had over the last century, and and so on? And I think when you show people that. Um, they can understand it because it's not rocket science. They start to say, whoa, I didn't know that. What else am I not being told? So I think the job of educating people in climate matters and also in energy matters uh, is really important. And, you know, show like this, other material that is being produced by people will go a long way. And I think, you know, to get into politics for a minute, um, if Congress changes hands in November uh, and in the context of the current energy crisis that the globe is feeling, uh, I think people are going to ask again, you know, how solid is the science that's driving us to decarbonize and maybe have a harder look 
at what we really know and what we don't know. So people are going to get interested in that. Steve Coonan is our special guest here on the Labor and Energy Show. Steve, real quick question before we get to the break. At about 40 seconds before uh, we come up uh, on the break, but I was in a conversation over the uh, holiday weekend, and the conversation was, hey, here's the reality of high prices at the pump. For the very first time, that normalcy is now forcing us or forcing everyone to try and understand what's going on. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I think we've uh, all of us have got a good dose of energy reality over the last six or seven months, and that's going to change the conversation. Uh, to put first reliability and affordability, and then clean third, uh, where it's been very different uh, up until now. Steve Coonan, our special guest on the Labor and Energy Show. Again, Steve is a professor at NYU University. He's also a senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute. And if you, you can tell by now from our first two segments, he is well-versed, he is well-educated, and there is a reason he is world-renowned. Back in a moment. The Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. I'm back here on the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. Our very special guest today is Steve Coonan. Don't forget, if you miss any of today's show, you can listen to the podcast. Go to Apple or Spotify. Simply search Labor and Energy. And also, as we go into uh, the next commercial break, listen to our messaging. Did you know, as we continue, Jay doc to educate our listening audience? Yes, Over to you, sir. And Dr. Steve Coonan is the, is the author of the book, Unsettled. That's a fascinating read. Man, if you Joe Krause, you always talk about the truth. If you want the truth, read the book. Having said that, um, we're going to talk a little global right now. And one of the things that I was really fortunate enough to, uh, to, to turn on, I was, I was uh, going through the channels and C-SPAN, and there was uh, Dr. Steve Coonan right there uh, talking about climate change and all the facts. And one of the things that is staggering, okay, and uh, we talk about energy uh, security and energy independence. And um, one of those things is, that's incredibly important, people, Okay, especially right now. You mentioned, Steve, in the previous uh, previous segment, uh, a dose of energy reality. Well, the United States is only 13 percent of the world's emissions. So we're willing to shut ourselves down completely without totally uh, focusing on carbon capture and all kinds of other technologies that will help our traditional energy resources, which have been 100 years in, in, in the making, okay? We're going to shut ourselves down in 10, 13, 15 years and leave ourselves destitute. Wow, it isn't going to matter a damn because, what, 87% of the emissions come from the rest of the world. If you would elaborate, doctor, because I can tell you this, that, you know, we're willing to take the bullet, but, you know, we're going to be the ones relying on other, uh, our energy sources across the globe. Yeah. So, you know, the global context is really important. We can divide the world roughly into the developed world, the U.S., Europe, Japan, and so on. There are about a billion and a half of us uh, out of the roughly 8 billion people who live in the developed world. And our emissions are growing slowly. It's not declining in many countries, but they make up less than half of the global emissions. If you look at the rest of the world, the developing world, their emissions are growing rapidly because they need energy to improve their lot. And so even if the U.S. were able to go to zero in the next 10 years, let's say, uh, the administration's goal is the next 
30 years. Uh, if we went to zero, that would be wiped out by the growth in emissions from the rest of the world. And you can't deny them that. You know, fossil fuels provide 80% of the world's energy right now. Those countries need the energy. They're energy poor. Uh, as one statistic, which I find stunning, 3 billion people in the world use less energy per year than the average U.S. refrigerator. <laughs> so they need energy for mobility, for refrigeration, air conditioning, heating, light, and so on. And to say that they can't use fossil fuels, I would say is immoral because it condemns them to a life of very expensive energy or energy poverty. Absolutely. And, 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 and certainly, um, you know, when you talk about 80% of the world, the energy use is from uh, coal, oil, and gas, and 20% is from wind and solar. And you mentioned that, uh, of course, renewables are increasing. Nobody's trying to stop that. Um, I, you know, being a layman and, you know, as a regular guy, it, it dawned on me that we've spent 100 years developing our world's infrastructure uh, through tr uh, traditional energy uh, sources, okay, and resources. Okay, we've obviously gone, gone to natural gas. Coal is no longer uh, the dominant source. Um, but how realistic is it? You put together an infrastructure takes a hundred years, okay, and, and and in some cases longer than that, where we've been, uh, where where natural gas came in, and the fact of the matter is, we're trying to shut it down at, at, at a complete a complete zero in I don't know how many years what it, it, by twenty fifty I don't know exactly what they're thinking yeah, twenty five twenty five years it's ridiculous I, look yeah energy systems change slowly. And they change slowly for good reasons. Right. One is that the facilities are expensive and they last a long time, like refineries and power plants. The second is that we need these facilities or the system to be reliable. And the only way you get that is by a lot of experience in the operation and design of the facilities. You don't change things overnight, otherwise you run into reliability issues. And I like to say that you need to change energy systems by orthodonture, not tooth extraction. Right. Slow, <laughs> slow, steady pressure, right? Yeah. The fact is that even in the developed world, like the U.S., we cannot build an energy system that's all wind and solar because of the reliability issues. The federal government mandates, and we've all gotten used to the fact that the electricity is there 99.97% of the time. And if you've got just wind and solar, you can't do that because they're intermittent and unreliable. And so you need to have an energy system to back them up yep. that's as expensive as the wind and solar itself. Yeah, well, guess what? Texas taught us that. In other words, these these scenarios yeah. these these scenarios are no longer hypothetical. Okay. Plus, That's you need right. you need oil to cool the the wind turbines. Steve, you think we're you think in this country? Do you think we're on the verge of entering into energy poverty? I, you know, there's some phenomenal number of the. I think it's ten percent of the electricity connections in the country get disconnected every year because of inability to afford uh, the electricity bill. And I think as the bills go up, both because we've got more wind and solar and unreliable, uh, and also the price of natural gas has been going up, uh, I think a lot of people are scraping by, more and more people will be scraping by to uh, pay the energy bills. I mean, it's it's almost like being in a twilight zone. We now uh, we're going to get when we get into the next segment, we're going to touch on the automobile industry and what the heck's going on there. But having said that, let's we, we're talking about a lot of the obviously the, the not the problems. Okay, let's talk solutions here. Okay, let's 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 talk about um, what we should be doing. In order to take advantage of, by the way, these massive energy companies that that produce our traditional, um, you, you know, energy resources that 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 can be part of the solution and and not the problem. Okay. By the way, and I include renewables in that. Let's get one thing straight, people. 
uh, you know, we, we have families, too, we're 100% on board of, you know, of, of saving the environment, no question about it. But let's talk about realistic solutions that don't include us putting ourselves, uh, you know, in, you know in, in such a devastating situation that we're relying on energy resources from places like Asia, and uh, and you see what's going on, obviously in 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 Russia, uh, and 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 putting ourselves in a horrible way. If you would e elaborate, Steve. Yeah. So, you know, realistic solutions. Okay. Um. I I think first of all we need to cancel the crisis and understand that we need very deliberate, thoughtful actions uh, to reduce emissions. If that is the goal. Um. In terms of vehicles. Um, I think we're going to see electrification gradually of passenger cars and light trucks. It's going to take a while. We need to get the battery costs down. We need to get the charging infrastructure in place. Uh, and of course, to produce the electricity. In terms of electrical power, um, I'm not against at all deploying wind and solar, but understand that you need to take due account of the reliability. I think very important technology we have on hand is nuclear power. We need to make the reactors smaller and less expensive, and there are people working on that. I helped get that started when I was in the Department of Energy. Uh, and we need to be working on storage. Large batteries uh, would be a very good thing to be doing. The wind is pretty mature. Solar technology, we could see some improvement, but by and large, I would not expect to see great leaps and bounds there. And then have a thoughtful way of deploying all of this so that we don't destroy the energy system and wreck the economy. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the, uh, at the automobile industry and, and you look at what's going on with the mandates, okay? Uh, we, we had Mark Mills on the broadcast talking about mm. what it's going to take, okay, to, to mine for the you know mm -hmm. to, to get the critical minerals for the batteries for electric cars if we were hypothetically even considering uh you know trying to replace uh the internal combustion engine with uh, on a car per car basis okay we have i mean what that would do to the environment is absolutely insane number one okay a it, it, it it's not even likely not even close to possible Okay, and at the end of the day, at the same time, we're we're depending on that technology from places like the Congo, uh, where where the slave labor is at a premium. Okay, so there's so many things I don't think people or politicians understand. Doesn't mean we don't want a solution. Steve, talk about um, carbon capture. Okay, what, you know, one of the things we've been talking on this program, um, we've we've been you know bringing on you know uh, individuals who are experts in mm -hmm. in that. Talk about where that where that lies and what place that will have in our future. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's very expensive to do that, whether you try to capture it at the source uh, in a power plant or a, a refinery, um, or if you try to capture it out of the air, even more expensive. And, you know, the question again is, is society willing to pay those costs for a threat that is vague, that is distant, and is uncertain? Uh, and uh, my guess is that we're not going to be willing to pay those additional costs. Let me, let me say a word about uh, the impact of renewables. Sure. Uh, Mark Mills, uh, who, whom I know and, and respect, uh, is quite correct that renewable technologies or new energy technologies use a lot more stuff than conventional energy technologies do. And some of that stuff is quite exotic, like rare earths, for example. And there will be environmental impacts from digging that enormous amount of stuff out of the earth. Uh, and it will cause its own pollution. And, and so, you know, I, there is no energy technology that does not pollute in some way. I like to say that the only people who don't pollute are dead ones. And even that's not obvious. So, you know, choose your poison, all right? Steve Coonan is our special guest here on this very special edition uh, of the Labor and Energy Show. One last thought, Steve, from you before we go to the commercial break, and then we'll pick up the conversation yep. uh, on the other side. I always try and see the end. I, it, it, sometimes the end is not what I expect it to be. But how do you see the end of this? Where does the conversation bring us when we get to the end point? Yeah, I, I think... 
the world will go on a bumpy road as it tries to reduce its emissions and at the same time provide adequate energy for the developed and developing world. I think we'll do that over a century, century and a half. Um, and meanwhile, society will adapt. And we are wonderful at adapting, particularly if the threat is not particularly severe as it isn't. You know, it's worth reflecting that the world has warmed by about two degrees Fahrenheit since the beginning of the 20th century. And during that time, we've seen the greatest improvement in human welfare ever. We went from 2 billion people to 8 billion people, tremendous advances in health, nutrition, education. Uh, and it's hard to believe that another one and a half degrees is going to really derail things. Steve Coonan, professor, NYU University, senior fellow, American Enterprise Institute, on the Labor and Energy Show. Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know that natural gas with carbon capture and storage ensures a more stable and cost-effective energy supply than renewables alone? Did you know? What's a boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And welcome back, everyone, to this edition of the Labor and Energy Show. Our special guest for the full hour, uh, Steve Coonan, joining us, Jay Doc. And uh, I can't wait to go back and consume and listen to this entire show. By the way, I use that kind of as a transition to let the audience know as well. And remember, I'm, I'm the audience. Yeah, um, so I, I. I, I want the audience to know if you miss any of it. You can go back and download the podcast on Apple or Spotify. You know, it, it, what amazes me, Joe, is that we get this opportunity to, 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 to speak to people like Steve Coonan, who, who have the education, who, you know, un understand what's going on. I wonder what the percentage of the people is in the media. Oh, definitely our political leaders. And, of course, the general public that really don't understand the facts and the truth, like you say. And one of those areas that's, you know, we're already creating policy in all those situations where, where we really are not by any chance, you know, completely educated is transportation. A lot of people listening, Steve, our, our refinery workers and our workforce, and, and, and you have all these states trying to ban the internal combustion engine by as soon as 2030. We've had, like I, we mentioned Mark Mills, we've had him on the show, and he's pointed out that we, we, we don't have the minerals for all these batteries in these cars that you would need to, 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 to make the change. And all the mining energy used needed to make uh, the EVs as, as, as much on, on a, a much larger scale likely needs uh, what would create uh, and lead to um, greater admissions. Okay, talk about that because it's just not, you know, we talk, they, people just don't understand. I didn't understand. Yeah, yeah. So, so numbers are really important. First, the context, let's talk about that in the U.S., um, we use about 40% of our energy for transportation, and that includes passenger cars and trucks on um, the road. It includes rail, it includes air, and it includes ships. And those have very different needs. Um, we run our passenger cars uh, predominantly on gasoline, uh, a liquid hydrocarbon. Um, and what's interesting is that for the U.S., uh, transportation emissions are significant, but for the globe as a whole, transportation is only 14% of greenhouse gas emissions. <laughs> That's because most of the globe doesn't have as much transportation as we do. Now, there are good reasons why you might want to shift at least passenger cars and light trucks 
over to electricity. Um, it reduces greenhouse gas emissions, although, as I said, not so much globally. But it would also give you um, a much cleaner local pollution. You don't have the uh, particulates uh, or the oxides of nitrogen coming out. Uh, and it's quieter, so you reduce the noise pollution. Um, you also, electricity as a fuel um, has a much more stable price than does gasoline. Gasoline is traded on the open global market, or the oil is, uh, and, and so the price fluctuates a lot, as we've seen in the last six months, whereas the electricity price is pretty stable. Now, all of that together is great, but there are lots of barriers to getting there. The cost of electric vehicles is much higher. Um, they have range issues still. They have charging time issues. Um, you know, you can fill up your tank with gasoline in a few minutes, whereas you're in for 20 minutes or a half hour at least to get uh, your electric vehicle charged up, never mind trying to find a charging station. So it's going to be a slow transition, but I think it's going to happen for the cars and light trucks. For the heavy-duty trucks, for air, for rail, it's hard to see how we're going to do uh, without um, hydrocarbons of some kind. You know, I, I, I want to get your quick thought on this. Will there ever be a point that all vehicles will be electric? No. No. Because, you know, at least given the current size and weight of batteries, right. you can't run a truck like that. Exactly. Right? I mean, and, and, and that's what Mark Mills was actually laying out there. I love talking to, this, talking to, to, to the leaders about the science because they're not just going it the way it is. You know what? By the way, if you ask that same question to the general public listening to this radio oh, yeah. show right now, what would their answer be? There, well, of course, their answer would be absolutely. If you're, if you're reading the papers, if you're looking at the headlines, let's, let's talk about the, uh, these mandates that certain that states are jumping in. And I mean, I would say that they're premature to say the least. And I don't really think if we did everything in moderation, if we it, that the mandates are are, are necessary, you know, I think we're going to make a transition because people are naturally environmentally conscious. Okay, yep. but but these mandates are way premature, Steve. Yeah, I, I would agree both for the cost and the availability of the charging infrastructure and so on. But let me say something about the energy transition more generally. Uh, William Nordhaus won the Nobel Prize in economics in 2018 in part for a fundamental realization that there is an optimal pace to decarbonize. If you do it too rapidly, you are very disruptive and you deploy immature technology. Sure. If you do it too slowly, then the risk of something bad with the climate goes up. And so there's an optimal Goldilocks pace, and we are going too fast right now in this country. We've got the time. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, regular schleps like me and Krauss, we've talked about this many times. In the education, we're getting right now, and we hope the people are getting right now, okay, is exactly what we are, 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 you know, what we want. But we're talking about something. I put something together. I was talking to, to Brendan Williams last night, okay, after all this education we're getting, something called the proclamation, the moderation proclamation. What does that mean? Plant, you know, uh, uh, moderation across the board, okay, and obviously, at, and 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 utilizing common sense, and and we're, like you said, this world is very efficient. We're 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 going to do things the right way, and to me, if we all chip in and do it the right way, use common sense approaches, don't let people who really don't understand what's going on, like un, you know, unfortunately, politicians and news reporters who don't understand the science. Okay, if we if we if we use common sense and follow common sense and the science, we'll all be okay. Yeah, we we will eventually find the right path. Common sense will prevail after we've done all of the bad stuff and, and understood that it doesn't work. <laughs> Steve, you, you you've been incredible. By the way, again, I want to remind the people the book is unsettled. Uh, the author is, is Steve Coonan. Uh, go out and get the book. I mean, you know, Joe Krause, you talk about the truth. That's the truth. 
no politics. We're not sitting here. We don't have, uh, you know, we don't have one side. We're not catering to one side. We want reality. We want the people to understand what, you know, obviously uh, what reality is and be educated on what's really going on here so we can all win. Let me use the last 30 seconds of the show and give it to Steve Coonan uh, and just kind of give him a 30-second soundbite, Steve, where you are speaking directly to the audience. What would you say? Um, climate and energy are very important issues. And for all of their importance, there is such misinformation and ignorance, not in a pejorative way, just ignorance about what's really going on. And so I'd urge people, there are many sources out there beyond the popular media that can give you a better understanding of what's going on. Ask the hard questions, right? Some of the facts I talk about in the book uh, are surprised to people. Go ask politicians, how come we haven't seen any change in hurricanes? Or how come the economic impact is projected to be so small, but you keep talking about a catastrophe? I think by being active thinkers and listeners and questioners uh, will all eventually come to better decisions about what we should do. Steve Coonan, professor at NYU University, senior fellow at American Enterprise Institute, world-renowned, and now he can add to his long history and his long resume of incredible accomplishments and success, he can now add a one-hour appearance on the Labor and Energy Show. First ever. First ever. Steve, thank you much, (laughs) man. Okay. Appreciate talking with you. Yeah, great talking with you. Thank you very much. That's Steve Coonan, J-Doc, joining us. Uh, And that's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show. On behalf of our very special guest, Steve Coonan, today, uh, on behalf of uh, J-Doc, uh, and behalf of all of our listeners, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit FuelingUSJobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today.